You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Today we're in uh, part two of a series we kicked off last week called The American Myth. The American Myth. You know, as Americans, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the pursuit of this thing called the American Dream. Anybody heard of the American Dream before? Okay, cool. Four of you, the rest of you, all right, maybe just Google it. That's all you can do, okay? The American dream. Uh, and, you know, for some people, we think about the American dream. It means freedoms. It means opportunities. And those things are awesome, and we should be eternally grateful for those. But also, as we think about the American dream, just if you sit in this country long enough, that there can be part of the American dream that begins to make you think that, that life needs to look or feel or operate a certain way. And so if it doesn't, then it kind of leads you on this pursuit that if you get these things or have this <clears throat> or get enough of that, that it will complete you or it will fulfill you. And in this series, what we're doing is kind of debunking, all right, the myth that, man, those things will not fully complete you. They will not completely fulfill you, whether it be comfort or approval or perfectionism or stuff. And so you see this idea of the American dream can ultimately leave you on a pursuit of chasing things, watch this, that you'll never catch. And so in many ways, it's really more of a myth than it is a dream. And so in this series, we're kind of building on the foundation that we could really call the American dream in a lot of ways the American myth. And so if you missed last week, part one, where were you? We missed you, okay. Uh, but man, last week, part one, we talked about the pursuit of comfort. And we said that it's actually counterfeit comfort because no matter how much you pursue it, no matter how much you pay to get it, no matter how hard, hard you chase it, you'll never really actually get it. And so if you missed last week, man, I encourage you to go back on our website or social media channels and you can catch up. But today we're going to be in part two and we're going to be talking about the pursuit of, you ready? Approval. The pursuit of a do you like me? All right. Do you accept me? Do I belong? The pursuit of the approval of people over the approval of God. So let's kind of go home, get honest up in church today, okay, in the room and also online. How many of you would raise your hand willingly and honestly admit that you possibly, maybe just a little bit, okay, think a little bit, you care a little bit too much about maybe what some people think about you in your life. Raise your hand, raise them high, raise them high. A lot of honest people. We had a lot of liars at 930, a lot of honest people this hour. Now here's the deal, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Okay, if you have your hand raised because you're worried what I might think about you, all right, then you, okay, then that may be revealing, all right, that inside of you, you do care a little bit about how much people think about you, okay? We're gonna dive into that today, this longing for approval. Um, I love what author Harriet Breaker says. She writes this way, the disease to please is actually a form of addiction. Put that one on. The disease to please is actually a form of addiction. She says, just like a drug addict seeks drugs, people pleasers seek approval, so how do we know if that's us? Okay, a lot of us already said, like, that's me, okay? So we're going to talk to you today. Some of us were like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, okay? How do you know if that's you? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three problems that people pleasers face, and then we'll kind of address those problems from Scripture, from what God's Word says. Sound good? Okay, if you're taking notes, here's the first one. For all my people pleasers, you obsess about what other people think. 
Plain and simple. You obsess about what other people think. Like you're going, do you like my new outfit? Like you walked in today, you got that new dress, and you're like, do you like it? Is somebody going to comment on this? Okay. Do you like what I posted? Do you like my new hairstyle? Do you like the music that I listen to? Okay. Do you like me? Do you like me? Are, are we okay? Like, are we okay? Like, like I texted you, but you didn't text back. Are we okay? Why didn't you respond? I saw the little bubbles pop up, but then they went away. Okay. And then they pop out, and then they went away. And I just sat there, and I watched, and I waited for you. Some of you, I'm reading your mail right now, okay? It's like, are we okay? Why didn't you respond faster, okay? Listen, as people pleasers, we have this longing, all right, that we're locked into what other people think, okay? Listen, and the preacher is not outside of this circle, all right? I, I wrestle with the same thing sometimes. Can I be real with you today? Can I get real? All right, probably the number one moment, the highlight of my whole week where I wrestle with what people think about me more than any other moment is when I walk off this stage on Sundays, all right? And I go, did I do okay? Did I do okay? Did I do okay? Okay. And so listen, some of you, you don't tell me I did okay. And so I go looking for my wife, all right? <clears throat> and I go to her like a little puppy dog. Like, will you just pat me on the head? Just tell me I'm awesome. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I did okay. All right, now listen, don't come up to me at the end today and tell me I did good. Because I'll know why you said it, okay? You got to wait till at least next week. Try to fake me out a little bit, all right? But listen, man, as people pleasers, that's part of the fight that we all have. We obsess about what other people think. Here's number two, the second big challenge for all of our people pleasers. You're often overly sensitive to criticism. You're often overly sensitive to criticism or any type of criticism. Man, your supervisor makes a suggestion at work and you fall apart, right? You get that negative comment or maybe it's a negative comment that you think might be on your social feed and what, man, you just fall apart. Or you get that negative feedback in a relationship, or maybe your child tells you like where you've kind of not loved them well, or you've not parented well, and what you just mean you just crash. You can have a hundred people say great positive things to you, but then that one negative comment, and what happens? You're really, really, really struggling. Why? Because as as that disease to please gets inside of us, we're, we're overly sensitive. We overly obsess about criticism. There's a third one. It's this one. You actually have a hard time saying no. You actually have a hard time saying no. Oftentimes when we're so obsessed with what other people think about us, we struggle to say no even when we know we really should, right? You may find yourself like you avoid conflict at all costs. Like you're, you're smoothing things over with people left and right, even when there wasn't anything to smooth over. Like you're smoothing it over, right? The little kid shows up on your doorstep selling wrapping paper. And what do you do? You buy the wrapping paper. Whether you're going to use it or not, you know you got to buy it because you can't say no, right? You end up at the party that you didn't really want to go to, okay? You, you go out on the, I go, ladies, you go out on the date with the guy that you really don't ever want to see again, but you said yes just because you didn't know how to say no when he dropped in your DMs. Are you with me? Okay. Why? Because we have this over desire to say yes. It's so difficult to say no. And can I just be real enough to say that some of you, like that's where you're living right now. I mean, you're so overcommitted all the time in every part of your life. And somebody else comes up and says, well, can you help out? Can you, can you be here? Can you do this? And you're like, well, yeah, I guess so. And then you start thinking, well, it's not like I don't have 50,000 other things to do. But it's so hard because we have this desire to please, this longing for approval. And here's where we'll begin to dive into Scripture today. Look at what Proverbs 29, 25 says. You can see it on the screen. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Let's just pause there for a moment. The Hebrew word translated as snare is the word makosh, and this word very literally means a noose for catching animals, or, or it means like a hook that was generally in the nose of an animal, 
Okay, now I'm not going to show you that. It might kind of gross you out before lunch today, but like, would you just imagine with me like this hook inside of an animal, and it's just wherever it goes, it's just being led because of this hook that's locked in. And, and what, what Scripture is saying is that's, that's very similar to the picture of what it looks like when you live for the desire of the approval of others. When you're so locked in to what people think about you, you're pulled in all of those different directions. And Proverbs says, fear of man, it's a snare. It's a trap. It's not of God. But the verse continues, and look at the end of Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man, fear of what people think will always be a trap that will pull you away from what God's will for your life, but whoever trusts in the Lord. That's good news today, okay? When you can get to that place where you anchor yourself in him, where you lean into his purposes and his longings for your life more than what the culture says, scripture says you will be kept safe. I was thinking about uh, my high school years as I was kind of going over this, getting ready to, to speak to you this week. And I was thinking about, um, man, my 10th grade year, all right, and I was a typical high school dude. Like, I had the desire to be long. I had the desire to be accepted. I had the desire to please others. And so um, my 10th grade year, I think I've admitted this before, but like I got my very first car. Okay. Got my license, got my car to go with it. And it was, oh, it was good. You ready? Wait for it. It was a 1992 white Ford Taurus. Come on. Are you with me on that? With burgundy cloth interior. It wasn't leather. It was the cloth kind. And it was beautiful. Like it, it was popping. Don't tell me it wasn't. All right. And like, I thought it was the deal. Like I did. It had low mileage, drove really great. I got a great deal on it. Had to pay for half of it. Parents picked up the other half. And I'll never forget driving that thing home. And I was like, here we are, boys. All right. Where you want to go? You want me to go to the DQ? Let's go. All right. I had the Taurus and I thought it was the deal till I drove it to school. <laughs> you with me? And it, then all my friends started pulling up in like big old pickup trucks and they had mud tires and they had you know, others had sports cars with the big speakers in the back. And I quickly, I mean, about 10 minutes, I realized that like my family-friendly gas economical Ford Taurus wasn't the deal no more, okay? But you know what? I wanted to fit in. I, want, I wanted to get the approval of others. I wanted them to look at me and think certain things. So I was like, we're going to do some things to the Taurus to up the game, all right? And so, like, I started rolling. I didn't have a lot, but I started doing with what I could. So I'm like, we're going to keep it super clean. So, like, I washed it. Like, every weekend I'm out in the driveway, wash it like it was going to restore the 10-year-old paint job, okay? But, like, I'm washing it. And inside, I was like, it's going to be crystal clean. No food in here. It's going to be like it was my, my Mercedes or something. And I'm, I'm vacuuming that thing out. Okay, and then I didn't have the money to go get speakers. How many of you had speakers in your cars growing up? Be honest, be real up in church. Some of you are like, oh, no, can I do Uh-huh. All right, and, and so like I didn't have the speakers, but you know what? I was like, well, I know what I can do. So I go to the settings on my radio, and you know how it goes the bass, and you can push that. Some of y'all, you've done that before too. Hey, okay. And so like you push that thing all up, all the way up to what plus five. And I went to plus five on the Taurus, and so I pushed that thing up, dropped my windows, driving through the high school parking lot, bumping my Christian music. All right, I was cranking up my Stephen Curtis Chapman until the speakers they started getting a little staticky, and I'm like, all right, turn it down, turn it down. Okay, but man, I wanted to fit in. And then some people, they, they pulled up with rims. Anybody have rims at your high school? Mm-hmm, yeah, okay. Listen, I couldn't afford no rims. I couldn't roll on dubs. I, I couldn't do that, okay? But I could go to Walmart and walk on the automotive aisle, and they got those fake chrome rims. Anybody, you seen those before? $29.95, all right? And I'm standing there, I'm like, that would really up the game on the Taurus. 
And then the Holy Spirit spoke, okay? And the Holy Spirit said, don't be more of a fool than you already are. And I was like, yes, Lord, I'm listening, okay? And thank goodness he rebuked me right there at Walmart. And I didn't go. I didn't, I didn't swipe the card. But you know what, man? I do whatever so that, so that I could get the approval of other people. I wanted to fit in. You know, I think if we we're all honest today, um, man, that, that snare, just like that hook in the nose, it can pull us, can't it? Just, just that quick. And today what I want us to see is I want us to see it's, it's not just something that we can write off. It's like, man, everybody else does it. Everybody suffers with it. But today I want us to see that it's, it's a real danger, that it's a snare that can begin to affect your heart and affect your mind and affect the purposes that you live for. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to open up Scripture, and I want to dive in in just a second um, to Galatians in just a moment. But I want you to think about this before we dive in. Think about this in your life. When you become obsessed with what they think, okay, whoever they are, look, catch this. Becoming obsessed with what other people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. I'll say that again so maybe somebody can catch it. Becoming obsessed with what other people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. You see, for everybody listening today here in this room, in your living room, wherever you may be, listen to me. The God of creation, your heavenly Father, he has an opinion about you. You are his creation, made in his image. But the fastest way for you to forget that, oh, and you can, is to buy the lie that you need the approval of others. It's just like a hook. It's just like a snare. And so today what I want us to do in just our few minutes is I want us to begin to have a different goal. Like we have to have a different goal. We've got to pursue something different instead of living for the approval of they, whoever they are. Instead, we begin to reverse that and we begin to live for his approval in our lives. Like literally, not, like not just that's what we say on Sundays, but like that's how we operate on Mondays, that it begins to change who we are. <clears throat> Paul, in the book of Galatians, he, he writes, and I love what he writes in this one verse that I want us to look at in a couple of different ways. Galatians 1.10, it says, Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Let's pause right there. Now, here's the deal. The people in Galatia, they knew about the things that Paul had experienced. Maybe you've read about them before, okay? They knew about those things that gave him the credibility to start his verse with, obviously, Okay? Like they knew, obviously, Paul, you've been in prison multiple times for your faith. Paul, obviously, you've been shipwrecked and you've been left for dead. Paul, obviously, your inner circle of friends, they shunned you because you changed the direction of your life. Paul, obviously, you aren't living for the approval of people. You did, but you're not anymore. You're living for the approval of God. Now, here's the deal. That's Paul's life. The challenge for you and me today, if we get real honest, is um, I don't know that it's always quite as obvious in our life. But Paul says, obviously, I'm not living for the approval of people. But, man, I'm trying to align myself with God's purposes for my life. And then Paul says what's really maybe one of the most humbling, sobering phrases in, in all of the Bible. Galatians 1 verse 10, look at the end of it. It says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Here it is. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And stay with me. To be a servant means that you have to come under someone or something. And what I'm saying today, what Paul's saying here, is it's impossible to live up under the approval of people and simultaneously live up under the approval of God. You can do one or you can do the other, but you can't do both at the same time. And Paul says, 
If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I'm living for something different. So I wonder, can we, can we have like a little, little, little real talk today? Can we dive in today? A little serious discussion? You're like, well, what have we been in already? Okay, all right, we're going, we're going into it. I want to give you two truths today, okay, out of God's word, um, two, two truths about this, this disease to please that so many of us can be locked into, that, that hook, that trap, that snare, okay? Here's the first one. Write this one down. Pleasing people is a form of idolatry. Is that enough of a gut punch to start with? I told you it was going to get real, okay? Pleasing people is a form of idolatry. Now, rewind. In the Old Testament, there were around 613, count them, 613 Levitical laws that the Israelites, that God's people um, aspired to live by, 613. Those 613 came from, guess what, 10? You heard of those, 10 commandments? You know where the 10 came from? One. You know what the one was? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That was where it started. Now, listen, some of you are listening to this, okay, and you're going like, oh, like, I'm, I'm all good. Like, I don't, I don't have any figurines or, like, no, there ain't no statues up in my living room I'm bowing down to. Like, I don't do the Buddha meditating thing. Like, that's not me. Like, I, it doesn't apply to me. I'm all good, okay? Let me ask you this. What is idolatry? What is it? Idolatry is thinking about, pursuing, spending more time, chasing after anything more than you chase after God. That's the definition of idolatry. And all throughout the Bible, we, we read this truth, we read this characteristic of God that he is a jealous God. What does that mean? Doesn't he have all things? What that means is that he wants to be the sole purpose of your life and mine. He wants to be the sole purpose of your identity, of your heart, your affection, your thoughts, the greatest purposes that you live for. He longs for those to be for him. And when they're not, he's jealous all right, of whatever you place before him. But can I dig deeper today? When I dig deeper, we can see this, that God's goodness is actually seen in his jealousy. You go, how's that? Because God knows that the greatest thing that you and I can do with our life is live for his purposes. Therefore, he's jealous that you would do that. But it reveals that he's good because he has your best desires in mind at heart. But he's a jealous God. He longs for us to live for him. And if you read um, in the New Testament, you see like three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry. And he does some like amazing things, doesn't he? Like he comes up to blind people and he just like spits in the mud, puts it on their eyes and boom, they can see. And he walks up to, to lame people who can't walk and by his word through a miracle, boom, they walk. Walks up to lepers and by his word, they're healed. He literally breathes life into people who were dead and they walk again. And disciples, we see the disciples, they watch all of this. Like, I can't imagine what it was like to walk in that and experience that. But it wasn't just them. If you read in the New Testament, the context of it, there's also some, some really churchy people, some religious leaders called the Pharisees, and they had the front row to all of that. But do you know what the problem was? They would never acknowledge in faith that Jesus was who he said he was that he was the Christ. And you know what Jesus did in his wisdom and his sovereignty? He called out their idolatry. And I want you to see what he said. John chapter 12, verse 42, look at it. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But, here it is, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Buckle up. 
For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Did you catch that? They loved human praise more than praise from God. That's idolatry. Anytime you love anything more than your creator, God says that's idolatry. But don't miss this. Listen, it doesn't always start with the big stuff. So many times in our lives, it starts with the small things that you do just to try to please someone else. Like it's like that joke that you laughed at that you knew you shouldn't have laughed at. It's when you posted that picture because you thought he might see it or they might think it was funny or it's because you, you lied. I and mean, it was a white lie, but you lied at work or with your friend circle just to save face. So like you, you'd be protected. Or maybe you had that opportunity to share your faith with somebody, but it just felt weird and you didn't want to be weird. And so like you backed off. Why? Because you see, it's those seemingly small moments of choosing your behavior based on what they, whoever they are, might think. Can I just get down to the bare bones today? Not only is that idolatry, but it it breaks the heart of the Father. Why? Because you chose them more than you chose him. And pleasing people is a form of idolatry. And we have to call it that if we're going to see it for what it really is, okay? Now, I got good news, okay? That was a little heavy. Let me give you the good news in the midst of that. Here's the second truth today. Write this one down. The approval of God sets us free from the disease to please. That's good today, okay? The approval of God, of our Father, sets us free. You can be free. You can have the chains broken from that disease to please that we all raised our hand and said, yep, the hook got me. I'm in the snare. God's approval, his thought of you is the key that can free you from this bondage of this prison of what other people think. Paul spoke to it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can see it on the screen from the New Testament. Paul says this, verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who does what? Who tests our hearts. Paul says, the words that are coming out of my mouth as I write this, as I speak, they show that we've been approved by God. He says, my words, my life bear testimony that I'm enough. To God, I'm enough. Then he goes on. Look at verse 5. Pick it up. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Verse 6, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. Church, listen to me. Just think about how freeing that could be for you. Single mom, high school student, like how freeing. Could that be if that began to soak into your life and you begin to live with that perspective? Can I just tell you today, you you cannot please everyone no matter how hard you try. You can't. You won't. Like you'll please this group or this friend, but at the same time, like this group or this friend is so disgruntled with you, right? And so then you start changing things and you get this one pleased and then what do they do? They change their mind, right? You'll never be able to please everyone. But you can please God because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You can't please them all, but you can please the one that ultimately 
matters. And if you really think about it, like if you really pulled back the cover, if you think about it, your worth is based primarily on one thing, and it doesn't have to do with your job, no matter how awesome or not awesome your resume is. It doesn't have to do with who your neighbors are. It doesn't have to do with who you dated. It doesn't have to do with what they say about you, but it only is based on what God, your father, your creator, the one who fashioned you, what he thinks about you. And we could argue today, like if we really got down to the basics of this, I think we could argue today and maybe come to the same conclusion that all of our, our, our chronic sin struggle in so many different areas, including this desire for approval, all of it boils down to one source, one main source that just kind of feeds it all, and that is that we bought a lie. You and I bought a lie. Think about Genesis 3, where it all started. What did Adam and Eve do? They bought a lie. And it changed the course of all of humanity and all of history. Now, here's the deal. The lie looks different for all of us, but here's the commonality. The lie always creates an emptiness inside of us that we're going to have to feel somehow. And if I could put some flesh on it today, maybe for some of you that lie is that the lie that you think that you'll never measure up. Maybe it's because of your upbringing and the things that were said to you and the way that you were parented or the way that you were led. And man, you're, you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years removed from it, but the reality is you're still living believing that lie. For some of you, maybe it's the lie that you'll never be accepted because you've experienced broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship, and you said it's, it, it's never going to stick. For some of you, you're living with a lie, believing that your looks define who you are. Because of what some guy said to you who you thought loved you. And where is he now? Or maybe you're believing the lie that you will never succeed because of what's happened in your career or whatever's gone. And you, I'll, I'll never fully be what they want me to be. And the lie that you are believing, listen to me, it could look a number of different ways today because we come from all different ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, wherever you are. Listen, it could look in all these different ways, but you know what the lie always makes you do? It always makes you try to fill it and medicate it in some way. You do and I do. How will we feel that void. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to honestly help you today. If you're willing to go like, man, that's me. Disease to please. I want to help you, okay? One of the best, and I'm going to call really almost the only way to combat this disease to please that you got and I got, no matter where you are, is to speak God's word, God's truth over your life. It's to replace what's the lie with what's true. Now, some of you are going like, oh, I, I read my Bible. Okay, I read it three, four, five times a week. All right, man, I, I read my, listen, and that's awesome. Don't stop that. But listen, I, I didn't say read God's word over your life, but I said speak God's word over your life. It's different. Catch this. When you read the Bible to yourself, it edifies your soul. That's good. Okay, it strengthens your spirit. When you speak the word of God over your life, that's an act of warfare. That's an act of war. Read it. You know, the armor of God, right? Ephesians 6. You've read it, dressed up in it, okay? What does it say? The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth. All of the armor is what? Defensive, except for what? One piece. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, is the offensive weapon that you, what? you go to battle with. 
the offensive weapon. And if you read enough of the word, if it gets in you enough, man, you can read through it. And there's scriptures all throughout, particularly the New Testament, that speak to who you are if you're in Christ. It's kind of like the I am statements from the great I am. He says, now here's who you are. Like, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I'm justified. I am not condemned. I'm united with God. I'm a member of Christ's family. I'm a saint. I'm adopted as a child of the king and on and on and on. Let me ask you today. Listen to me. All right, husband, grandparent, what would happen if you daily spoke those verses over your life? Like seriously, what would happen? Now let's be real. Like probably on day one or day two, nothing may really change. Maybe on week one or week two, nothing's like really shifting. But I can promise you, if you use the sword of the Spirit over your life and you speak those words of truth of eternity over your life consistently for weeks and months on end, at some point, something's going to register and change. At some point, it's going to begin to sink in. It's kind of like what Paul said in Romans 12. You remember what he said? Look at it. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, the pattern we're talking about today is the approval of people, the disease to please. He says, don't conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what does it say? Mind. The renewing of your Mind. When we speak God's word over our life, we're renewing our mind. We're replacing the lies that we all been believing with what's true. Church, listen to me. God didn't give you this weapon of truth for you not to use it. He didn't give it to you for you just to sit as an app on your phone that you just scroll by. He didn't give it to you for you to dust it off and bring it to church on Sunday so you look all put together when you ain't cracked it yet. He says, this is the sword of the spirit. This is the weapon that's true, that's eternal. Because he said, I know the battle you're going to face. I know the disease to plead. I know the addiction that's going to creep up in your life, that's going to try to steal you and lie to you. And he says, so you're going to swing the sword or not? This is the sword of my spirit. And I believe if you do that consistently enough, I'm not talking about three days and quit. I'm talking about if you get it in you consistently enough in enough ways that at some point it's going to click and something's going to register. And that whole truth that you sing about, that you've been talking about since you were in third grade VBS about God's love, God's love. Listen, at some point it's going to go on an 18-inch journey from your head, that just what you know, to your heart and what you believe. And you'll start living it out. Because the word, the living word of God is over you and you will begin to realize that you are enough through Jesus. Okay? Let me get into your business for a minute if I wasn't already there. There's a really good chance that there are a handful of people, dozens of people, listen to me right now, listen to me. You're believing lies, sir. You're believing lies that you need to replace with what's true. I can't make you do it, but I'm just telling you that God has equipped you to do it. And when you wash over your life with the word of God, the living, active word of God, it will free you. It will free you from the need to live for the approval of anyone else because you can know that you already have the approval of the only one who matters. Hear me. You, listen, you can't make him love you anymore. You can't make him love you any less. Not because you're good. Because Jesus did it for you, okay? 
And when you begin to grasp it, you realize like he don't look at you and define you by your past mistakes. He doesn't define you in the season of rebellion that you're in right now. But when you're in Christ, he looks at you through the filter of grace. It's Jesus' righteousness over all your unrighteousness. That's how he sees you. That's how he defines you in Christ. So in Christ, who are you? Well, let me just give you a glimpse. In Christ, you're the workmanship of God. Ephesians 2, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Because he wants to work through your life. That's what it says. You're an adopted child of God. You're forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. You're accepted. You're appointed as an heir of the king. Hello? You're the righteousness of Christ. You're filled with the spirit of God. You are not who you used to be. But you're a new creation in Christ. In Christ, you're free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't hold reign over you anymore. And the Bible says you are no longer a prisoner, but you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your story. You are not what you think they think about you. You are only what God says about you. And we can rest in that today. See, when you let that penetrate your heart, not just because the preacher said it, but because you believe it, then you're not afraid of what people think. And you go, you know what? Like, because I'm his, I'm not going to about what, obsess about what the opinions of others are. Like, I'm not going to live with the overwhelming feeling that I need to please everyone that I go to work with tomorrow. I'm not going to live with this longing that I got I to look like everybody on the feed that I'm going to scroll through this afternoon. And it, it not only changes how you think, but watch this, like it changes how you live. All of a sudden, you begin to go, you know what? I'm going to keep driving a clunker because I don't care what they think because what's priority in my life is walking in financial freedom and trusting God with everything that I got. You know what? I'm going to walk in purity all the way till I'm married. No matter what he says or no matter what my friends think about that. I'm going to serve others with my time, my talents, my resources, regardless of what culture says I should do in living for myself. And we start making different decisions. Why? Because we know who we are and we know what we're worth. And I realize I'm accepted. Nobody can steal my joy. Nobody can take my purpose because it's not based on this earth. No one can take away who I am and whose I am. Because every sin struggle, don't forget it, every sin struggle starts with believing the lie. And it's only the power of God's word over your life that will set you free from the disease to please. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, living for the approval of people is a snare. It's a trap. And it'll get you just that quick. But, the good news, but... Whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever banks their life on him, whoever says, man, this little temporary thing I'm doing is not worth comparing to the eternal purposes that I'm living for. Whoever trusts in the Lord, they are kept safe. Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc, or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.